By now, you've probably heard it all over the news. Oh my God, there's a Tesla range scandal. But is this more unrealistic buyer expectations or something that the EPA really finally needs to address? Let's start with a bit of background. Four and a half years ago, I bought a Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus. That was EPA rated for ostensibly 240 miles of range, said so on the instrument cluster when it was fully charged. But in our real world testing, we got 192 miles of range. And we pretty logically said that your real world range is gonna be above or below that, depending on how you drive, where you're driving it, and the temperature it is outside while you're driving it. This caused a bit of a mini scandal on the channel and a lot of folks said, your numbers are really wrong. We'll prove it to you. So I reached back out to the viewership and said, send us screenshots of your Model 3's actual efficiency will compile the numbers. And turns out our real world numbers were pretty darn close. Yes, if you drive things very gently, you'll get over 192 miles, but pretty much nobody was getting actually 240 miles of real world range. For those that are shocked by this, here's my blunt response. No Sherlock, when have EPA estimates ever been real world? But let's dive a little bit deeper. In this video, I'm gonna talk about the scandal. I'm gonna talk about what it was like in our Tesla Model 3, why I actually don't care, because we're then gonna deep dive into the EPA numbers and talk about why they are wrong in the first place. Then we're gonna talk about why everybody is thinking about EPA numbers wrong especially when it comes to electric vehicles and therefore why it's time for the EPA to do something about it and change their obviously bonkers procedures. First, the scandal. Last week, some reporting emerged that Tesla had created a diversion team, as it was called in the article, somewhere in Nevada, to cancel as many range-related complaints and service calls as possible. Now, to be honest, that kind of makes sense because if you have a lot of people calling about nothing, then of course they're gonna create some kind of diversion team to try and deal with the nothing calls. I would not be at all surprised if there is not some sort of internal procedure at most Ford dealers or GM dealers to deal with the range-related complaints of a F-150 Lightning or a GMC Hummer, but we'll get to that in a bit. In a nutshell, Tesla did everything possible to try and not see these vehicles that weren't meeting customer expectations, basically not being able to go the range indicated on the instrument cluster. In the case of our Tesla Model 3, that would have been 240 miles. It's now caused a class action lawsuit in California, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. And this is the quote from the attorney here. It says, put simply, Tesla has a duty to deliver a product that performs as advertised. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it is performing as advertised because its EPA rating really was 240 miles. It's just that the EPA rating is not realistic. And newsflash, it's not realistic on anything. I have a whole boatload of window stickers here from all the long-term vehicles that we have purchased here so far. And guess what? None of them ever achieve their EPA numbers in real world driving. When you actually look at the EPA numbers and then consider what people are thinking about when they're thinking about real world driving. So to the class action lawsuit lawyers or the people out there, I would just say boohoo, but also what did you really think was gonna happen? Our Model 3 experience is the textbook example. So let's just dive deeper into that at first. When 100% charged, again, the dashboard display that had the little battery icon completely full, it would say 240 miles of range. This is based off of essentially the EPA range calculation of about 4.2 miles per kilowatt hour. 
but not so fast. If you typed in a destination into the navigation system that was 240 miles away, or even 230 miles away, even on flat land, it would tell you you needed to charge to get there because the nav system knew that that wasn't realistic. Even if you typed in a destination 190 miles away, the vehicle would generally tell you you needed to charge in order to get there or you would arrive completely empty. Now, what's the difference here and why am I not bothered? Remember that the vehicle doesn't know exactly how you're going to drive every time you get into it unless you put in a destination. And this is the one thing that actually Tesla has done extremely well ever since the beginning. And remember, this was 2019. Even in 2019, Tesla had a lot of crowdsourced data and they knew exactly what the consumption would be on the route that I planned to drive. But if you don't put a route in the vehicle, how does the car know where you're going to go? There are two ways to deal with this. You could go the optimistic route and use the EPA number and that 4.2 miles approximately per kilowatt hour. And you could use that as the range figure and then it would just drop predictably as you went down. So at 50% state of charge, it would still say, you know, about 120 miles. Or you could do the opposite thing, which upsets customers in an entirely different way. You could do what Ford did on the Lightning, for instance. They use a rolling prediction number for your range figure. And that means it's never going to be quite right. It's always going to be off in weird directions. Because if you routinely haul a lot of weight in your Lightning, that number is going to drop down and down and down and down. And then if you pull all that weight out of the Lightning and drive it gently on a road trip, you're going to get way above that number. So that number is still not going to be right, which is why a lot of folks tend to call it the guessometer. And for that, we need to take an even deeper dive into the EPA numbers. And this is why I'm absolutely not bothered because newsflash, most vehicles do not get their EPA numbers in real world testing because the EPA test cycle is not realistic at all. And it was never really intended to be. It was intended to be a method by which you could compare car A to car B. And if you use it in that way, then yes, it is useful because I can say that things like our long-term Kia EV6 GT line at 105 MPGE was more efficient than a Rivian R1T. And yes, indeedy, in real world driving, it was more efficient. And in the middle between the two, there was the Ford Mustang Mach-E at 90 MPGE. But you know what? None of these range figures was all that correct. Even a gasoline vehicle like a Durango SRT, 15 miles per gallon, not really realistic. We generally are averaging a little bit below that. Hyundai Nexo fuel cell for you hydrogen lovers out there, never really got the 57 MPG on that one either. And uh, the current long-term test Mitsubishi Outlander, sorry guys, not getting 26 miles per gallon in hybrid mode, not really getting 64 MPGE combined in EV mode either. I need to put a big fat disclaimer here. This video is not intended to be a defense of Tesla. Instead, this is more of an indictment about the way the EPA does their testing procedures and of course, consumers that aren't thinking about the way EPA numbers work. I don't know anybody who looks at a window sticker of a gasoline vehicle and honestly truly believes that they are going to get that number. But for some reason on electric vehicles, everybody is obsessed with meeting the EPA number and a car company not meeting it or beating it or whatever. None of these numbers are real. And that's why we need to talk about the way the test works. I don't know how many times I have to say it, but I will do it over and over again. The EPA test cycle is not realistic. Acceleration is glacial. Speeds are very low. Even the high speed test that was introduced over 15 years ago, the US 06 test cycle averages just 48 miles an hour. 40 
eight. Think about that. And then think road trip. Do you think 48 miles an hour on a road trip or do you think 72 to 75 miles an hour? Yeah, I thought so. And of course, if you're in Texas, you're probably thinking 80, 85 miles an hour. And if you're in Montana, God knows what you're doing up there, probably 90 miles an hour because I've been there and people are definitely speeding. But before we get into customer perception, let's talk about how the numbers happen in the first place. And with that, why Teslas typically have fared worse than other EVs when it comes to the real world versus EPA comparisons. The EPA test cycles date back to 1978, UDDS and HWFET, basically city and highway. On the city side of things, the test loop is 11 miles long and averages 21.2 miles an hour. The highway drive cycle that's a little shorter, 10.26 miles long, averages 48 miles an hour. The fastest acceleration profile used here translates to a glacial 18 second zero to 60. And you know what? That's kind of logical because the car that I learned to drive on went zero to 60 in around 20 seconds. So it wasn't really that unrealistic to demand 18 seconds uh, in 1978. The whole deal is 21 miles long and averages about 34 to 35 miles an hour. It's also done without air conditioning. I don't know about you, but that does not look like my daily commute especially not my commute home where I need my air conditioning. To make things more realistic, of course, the EPA took 10% off the top of the city number, 22% off the highway, and voila, you had a Geometro that could get 40 miles per gallon. On paper, probably never in the real world. Although I know Geometro fans will dispute this, I've driven one and I did not get 40 miles per gallon. In 2008, of course, things changed. The EPA decided that there should be a new five test cycle that would include running the AC, finally, and a high speed test. That sounded really good, except when you look at the details. The high speed test might peak at 80 miles an hour, but the average, guess what? Still 48 miles an hour. The high temp test, ambient of 95 degrees, that sounds fantastic, but it's idling 19% of the time, and that might stress out a gasoline-powered vehicle and you know its gasoline consumption in the city loop, but for an EV, that's really not a bummer because it's gonna be using a lot less energy stopped doing nothing with the air conditioning running than it would be moving along at 80 miles an hour. Also, that particular loop averages just 22 miles an hour. At least there was a faster acceleration run included, but it's just a seven second run zero to 60 equivalent, assuming the vehicle could actually achieve it. So if the vehicle can't do that, of course, like it's a Nissan Rogue or something, then it's just gonna zip up as fast as it possibly can. Now, back then, car companies absolutely lost their minds. The EPA relented and said, okay, okay, I know it's expensive, so what, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let you run the two tests, and then we're gonna let you calculate a number for your window sticker and that's the number we'll use. That way you can save money, you don't have to run the whole five test cycles, we'll adjust things with our own table of adjustments here. So what about electric vehicles? Well, the EPA didn't come up with a plan until 2011, and their plan is a little weird. They basically just said, do the same test procedure, and then we'll just hack 30% off the top, and we'll call it good. You might be wondering, how did they come up with the 30% number? In reporting done a number of years ago, someone at the EPA admitted that apparently they took a third generation Prius, 
and they used the five cycle test scores for that vehicle and they used that as the basis for electric vehicle reduction. So you might be thinking, okay, we're all good. That's how we get EV range numbers. Well, not so fast. The car companies might have complained about the new five test cycle back then in 2008 and just before, of course, and the EPA might have allowed this other test procedure, but they didn't decide to not have the five test cycle procedure. And that's where some of those details on the extra tests become important. Remember that they're all still relatively low speed. Remember also that there's a decent amount of idle time. In these tests, no other electric loads are used. So no air conditioning, no fan, no radio, no headlights, etc. And that really has an impact when we're talking about an electric vehicle where things are very efficient for the energy contained on board. So in a gasoline vehicle not running the headlights, it's going to have a very minor impact on fuel efficiency. Now, mind you, in an EV, it is still going to have a very minor impact on fuel efficiency, but the delta between these impacts, it's absolutely massive. As a percentage, it's much bigger on the EV side. So running these extra profiles can actually benefit the EV manufacturer, and that is definitely what Tesla does. So Tesla runs all five test cycles, then they get to use their own calculated modifier for defining the combined score and the combined efficiency and therefore the range. So on a Tesla Model Y, for instance, instead of the 30% off the top, it gets just a 24.4% reduction. Ford's Mach-E, Ford was lazy. They just ran the two test cycles, took 30% off the top, and hey presto, we have the rating that's on the Mach-E window sticker over here, which for the Mach-E was 270 miles the year that I bought the vehicle. Now, Ford has since adjusted those numbers upward because they've found additional efficiency improvements. Also, Ford appears to have elected a voluntary reduction, and that's probably one of the other important things that I should mention. In these test procedures, a manufacturer could look at the number and go, eh, you know, I think I want to advertise my vehicle as a little bit lower for whatever reason. And some of that reason may be the way that Tesla has ended up in the news with some of their vehicles. So it does look like some manufacturers have elected voluntary reductions, but then other manufacturers, most notably Audi with their early EVs, they did the same thing as Tesla. They ran the full five cycles, had a really aggressive number, etc. Now, on this guy here, we should also talk about something that is on every window sticker on every new vehicle sold. It is the disclaimer right below it where it says actual results will vary for many reasons, including driving conditions, how you drive and maintain your vehicle. It's literally right there in black and white, admittedly tinier print than this 90 up here and tinier print than the 270, but it is still there. Although I can't say for sure, the most logical reason that every other car company out there is not running the full five test cycles is money. It's very expensive to run an EPA test procedure. Those labs are usually booked way out. You have to spend a lot more time on the dynamometer to actually complete all of those test cycles, complete all the certification and documents, etc. Now, remember that the EPA is not testing these vehicles. Manufacturers typically go to a third party test facility. They're the ones that run the tests. The numbers are then provided to the EPA, but the EPA is responsible for the way the tests function and of course how those tests are designed. Of course, don't get me started on the whole MPGE or miles per gallon equivalent thing because you know nobody buys electricity in gallons equivalent. We buy them in kilowatt hours. So that's a better number to be here. But that aside, the EPA shoulders some of the blame, but also 
all of the car companies that lobbied for this thing to happen in the first place bear a little bit of blame. Okay, so now we know how the range figures happen, and we know why Teslas tend to fall a little short based on these calculations. But there's something else going on here. We're all looking at the range figures wrong. And this is not just a consumer thing. This is an auto review thing. I have read multiple articles out there about the Lightning. Ooh, we hooked a trailer to it and it didn't get X number of miles. And compared to the window sticker range, this is terrible. Well, you know what? We're looking at these numbers wrong. They do not mean what we think they mean. I'll just use this one because the numbers are lower. This window sticker 15 miles per gallon is based on 55% city, 13 miles per gallon, 45% highway, which is at 19 miles per gallon. Now, I don't know about you, but when most humans think about EV range, we are all thinking, can I get there from here? Can I make it to Dallas from Houston? Can I go from San Francisco to Los Angeles without stopping? Nobody is out there thinking, how many times can I drive around Manhattan in circles in traffic at an average speed of 21 miles an hour with the air conditioning off? And going back to this Durango window sticker for a moment, here's why that matters. Obviously, Durango SRT, wicked inefficient, just 15 miles per gallon. Drive it on a road trip at 70 miles an hour, and you'll be patting yourself on the back because you get 17 miles per gallon. Yay, right? Uh, except that it's EPA rated on the highway for 19 miles per gallon. So most folks aren't patting themselves on the back for meeting or beating their highway number because most people just don't. When you look at fuelly, for instance, you look at people's uh, average fuel economy scores, they're generally below the EPA combined number for that particular vehicle. And the actual real world balance of city to highway driving is largely to blame here. A lot of Americans, especially most new car buyers statistically, live in suburbia and they're commuting somewhere on a highway to go to their job. Most likely more of their driving is on the highway than it is in the city, but these numbers skew towards the lower city number. So for a lot of folks out there, they pat themselves on the back, I beat the EPA number, yay. On an EV though, that is not how these numbers balance out. Let's just go ahead and take a look at a Mustang Mach-E here, for instance. Uh, so 90 MPGE combined is based on 96 city, 84 highway. You'll notice city much higher than the highway number. And that's true on the Rivian R1T, it's true on the Kia EV6, and yes, of course, our Tesla Model 3. And that's why, as I noted when we reviewed the Ford Lightning, a 320 mile rated Lightning is only good for 283 miles on the highway according to the EPA tests at an average speed of 48 miles an hour. So why would anybody assume that you could go 300 miles with a trailer connected? It's not even rated for that in one of the most optimistic testing procedures that we have in North America. In real world driving, your actual highway range is going to be more like 250, 260 miles. You stick a trailer on it, you cut 50% off of that, and hey presto, that's the number that is realistic. It wasn't actually a 70% reduction versus regular fuel economy because it could never do that on the highway in the first place. Now some EVs do have numbers that are closer. On our Tesla Model 3 standard range, for instance, there was only a 10% difference between highway range and the combined number. Ditto, interestingly enough, with the Rivian R1T. And that is why in our testing, it actually mimicked what was going on here. The R1T is rated for 314 miles combined versus 320 in the Lightning. We owned these vehicles at exactly the same time, but the Rivian R1T would actually go further on a road trip, further on a highway, than the Lightning 
because on the highway, it was more efficient, even though the combined range figure actually would indicate otherwise. Let's wrap it all up. First, we're all thinking about EV range wrong. We need to be looking at highway range more closely if you are thinking about range in those terms, and then obviously adjust it for real world driving. And that's why real world range tests, especially at highway speeds, are certainly more important. You also need to adjust things down based on your terrain, your driving style, etc. If you are that magic person that is getting 40 miles per gallon in your Geo Metro, A, yay for you. B, you're probably also going to get fantastic range in a modern EV. If on the other hand, you're driving your Geo Metro like you stole it, you're probably going to be getting way below its optimistic EPA rating way back there in the 1990s. And so therefore, you will also be getting below these range estimates in your next vehicle. Unless, of course, on that lovely spring day when it's 70 degrees outside and you're not using the air conditioning, you're going to drive 300 miles to grandma's house at 35 miles an hour. Second, let's have some personal responsibility here. Every window sticker literally says actual results may vary for many reasons. But people love to have someone to blame. And if you want someone to blame, I blame the EPA because the EPA needs to pick a methodology and just stick with it. Why are there two different test procedures? You have one test procedure if you think that's going to give you the biggest number, and you have another test procedure if you're lazy and cheap. That's essentially what this all boils down to. Now, it's not surprising that most companies at the time didn't want to do the five test cycles because who would ever notice a 2% bump in fuel economy or a 6% bump in fuel economy when you're talking about a 12 mile per gallon pickup truck or an even a 20 mile per gallon Toyota Camry? Is it worth the difference in marketing because your competitors aren't doing it? It's simply another 10, 20 million dollars out the door that you didn't need to spend. On the other hand, when it comes to a sexy electric vehicle, well, that's not that window sticker. That would be this sexy electric vehicle. You want the biggest range. So of course you're going to run all five test cycles. Of course you're going to spend that extra money so you can have a bigger range number on your window sticker. And that is exactly what's going on. I hate to tell you, but uh, if you were part of the optimistic crowd that truly believed you could get those range figures on your vehicle, again, you're thinking about the number wrong. We need to do a better job in the industry. Manufacturers, possibly it's not in their best interest though, mind you, but definitely in the automotive review world, consumer advice world, we need to be doing a better job about educating people about how these numbers work, what they mean, and what they absolutely do not mean. The window sticker on a Ford Lightning absolutely does not mean you can go 320 miles on the highway or with a trailer connected or with a thousand pounds on board. That is not what that window sticker means. So to somehow you know, clutch your pearls and have this moment where, my God, my lightning just didn't go 320 miles when I had five people in it and a trailer on the back. Uh, what did you think was going to happen? Is it a magic unicorn or is it an electric vehicle that actually has to get charged and power you down the road? At any rate, let me know what you think about all that down there in the comment section below. And of course, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so. Check out the other channels and I will see all of you uh, maybe next week. We'll see. Bye.